Welcome to Gross Anatomy. There he goes. Got it. There he is. Hey. Hi. Sorry. Hi. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, uh, it no, took I'm, me forever. I'm, listen, you know, the best part of this is, you know, everyone's everyone's home. So it's not like. Uh, I know. Everyone but me. <laughs> everyone but me. I know. You're working. It's amazing. Congrats. Exactly. You, that's a, incredible. So uh, this is Lauren. Hi, Hi Lauren. Brett. How are you? I, I've done all the research. I've been listening. I only listened to one of them, actually. But Which I really one? Love, Thank you. I listened. Talking. I listened to the one, the unusual uh, medical stories, which was a good one. It, oh it yeah. Talked about it. Talked about Alzheimer's, and then it talked about you know some other things. So I got some ideas. I got some inspiration. Cool. Uh, cool. To talk well, about. Before we get going, you know, Lauren already briefed you. She told me that I, I always say, "Are we live?" Yes, of course. <laughs> I love it. L- Lauren, are we live? Yes, we're live, Doctor Cohen. We are live. So we're live with Gross Anatomy, where we explore the sights, smells, and sounds of medicine and how it relates to pop culture, movies, TV, books, and the world around us. And today, I'm so psyched to have with us uh, Brett Ratner. I'm totally excited. The last time we hung out like this was over, was it Passover, I think? Yeah, it was a high holiday, which was amazing, because you're you're like, uh, your house is like the Brady Bunch. You have... (laughs) You have like I don't know who's who whose kids are who who's related to who. If you have daughters, their their boyfriends and the boyfriends' families and the the, the homishbucha is invited to your uh, to your seder. It's totally a mess. And and you know last week I was we we Airbnb a cabin in Big Bear, so we didn't. Do, oh my god! So I was lazy and we yeah. didn't do a Zoom. So I'm so excited. Uh, even though my surgery was running late, I'm so excited to have you. Do you know yeah. just? Just as an aside, as a Jewish aside, do you know what tonight is? I actually don't because I, I, today my day was so overwhelming. I didn't, I didn't even think about what even the date is today. So tell me, give me a hint. It's Tisha B'Av. Oh, Tisha B'Av. I love Tisha B'Av. <laughs> I love and Tisha B'Av. And I'm having a coffee in honor of Tisha B'Av. I love it. I love it. The Jewish holidays is, 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 are, are so fantastic. Fish above is a fasting. It's a fast day, Lauren. So that, yes, that's why I'm 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 doing this in honor of. But it the starts. Fasting. It starts tonight, right? Yeah, it starts tonight. Exactly. So I fast. So I fast t- tomorrow. It's one day, right? Is it one yeah, day? Yeah. You, you start it tonight and t- till tomorrow. Yeah. So fasting is great, um, actually. But you know, I'm a I'm a big faster since I can remember since I was old. I mean, I guess since my bar mitzvah. But just to give you. I told you this, you know, but I went to yeshiva, Lauren, right. I don't know if you're, you're a Jew, but it's a oh. very, re- okay, so it's a very religious school. I literally, at one point, I looked like a rabbi's son because I had the curls here. You still look like I, a rabbi's son. Yeah. <laughs> and, and by the way, by the way, nobody um, um, literally in my family is religious. Nobody. I mean, and I go back and I, when you look at my 23 and me. Yeah. I'm very proud that I am 100% Ashkenazi Jew. Me too. We talked any- about that. Oh, yeah, right. I was actually upset about it. Well, and, and, and why? Because oh, you wanted to have some other. Because I was like all excited. I'll see like what different things I have. Maybe I have some Asian blood or who knows what. I came back at 100%. And, and um, I then, by the way, before, I guess uh, for the past, I would say five years, I paid a guy who's a researcher to go to every single relative in, that's living in my life 
and get photographs and then track wow. every and track the genealogy of every single it was a five year project. Are we ready? I have, I have, a, I don't, well, now they have 23 and me, but it was more about the history of my family That's going cool. back to Ukraine, going back to Ukraine. So I have all this incredible history, which is, which again ties into, by the way, I just want to just tell you a little bit because I think of the, you know, because it's apropos to your, to your podcast. If I wasn't a director, which I am, for those of you that don't know, I would be a, a doctor. Everyone in my family on my mother's side of the family are all doctors. I grew up in a house with my mom, my grandparents, my great grandmother. My grandfather was a radiologist and I think wow. I spent more, and I, you know how he had that little thing and most doctors if they are next to I should have had one because every day after school, I would go sit and watch my grandfather read x-rays. And wow. I was exposed to yeah, the radiation. The, the little thing he's, he, you're describing is, it's actually like a little Geiger counter to get a sense of how much radiation the exactly. doctors are getting exposed to. But the great thing is, and I think what's fascinating about, we're talking about 23andMe, and then you could do all these tests to see if you're, I heard on your other podcast, you were talking about, okay, do you have that gene for the, for the Alzheimer's and blah, blah, blah. And I, I'm a complete, the greatest, I would, I'm one of the most famous hypochondriacs on earth, I will tell you this. <laughs> and, and, and I want to know, you know, my history. My, the great thing I know is my grandparents, knock on wood, my grandfather died a few years ago at 95, but all my grandparents lived wow. well into their 90s. That's amazing. So I, so I have incredible genes, and which is, you know, I realize because I'm, I'm constantly watching my heart. I got, this is the most annoying, this Apple Watch is the most dangerous thing for a hypochondriac. I am taking my EKGs every two hours and I'm watching it and I'm watching my heart rate and I'm, and it's, it's driving me nuts. I have, you know, there's a, Brett, there's a funny Ted talk about a woman with that watch who was counting her steps, like, and she'd get home and she refused to like sit down. She'd like walk around the house to get her steps. And she finally said, that's it. I got to get rid of this watch. And I, I almost got rid of it because literally it, it didn't show that I was in AFib, but it wasn't giving me a reading. And I'm like, I'm calling the doctor in the middle of the night. I'm like, what's, what's a normal heart rate? Because what's weird is, what's weird is, I'm not very athletic, as you can see on the, on the Zoom call, but uh, I'm <laughs> overweight. And I've been overweight since, since my bar mitzvah, I think, right? I've been overweight since then. And what happened was since I stopped athletics, right? But my heart, when I'm resting, my heart rate is like 50. If I'm just That's sitting great. here- and so that's like the heart rate of a, of a professional athlete, exactly. which, is, which is crazy. And it's weird that, and I just checked my ejection fraction, um, which is something that uh, it's really the pump of the heart, Lauren. Right. And, and, and I only know about this because my grandfather, before he passed, had heart failure. And I think I told you the story. He had heart failure. And the doctor in, in LA, I don't want to say his name, said, you know, Brett, let him go. He's 89 years old. He's not going to live. He's, his ejection fraction is 20. And I said, what are you talking about? He's not going to die. That's ridiculous. So I went to Cleveland Clinic and sat there for four hours showing the head of heart failure all my grandfather's results. <laughs> every EKG, every echo, every test. And, I, and he sat there. Literally, I sat there for three and a half hours. And he looks at me and he says, your grandfather doesn't have to die. And I said, that's what I said. So I carefully just, you know, gave him pills, you know, either, either diuretics or, you know, uh, all the different heart medications. And I learned about all these heart medicines or the ones that particularly that he was taking. But at one point, because when you have, when your heart gets weak, right, when your pump is not happening well, your ejection fraction, you know, gets, which is the pump of the heart. But what also happens is your valves start to leak profusely because the, the, it's called regurge. 
So the mitral valve, which is the valve that's it's the most brilliant invention ever. The heart. That's why I know a hundred percent. No, there's no. Wait a minute. Are you the doctor? Yeah, I think <laughs> it sounds like you're the doctor. We no, got but when I'm Radner here. No, but that's why I want to talk to you because you know the, the, I know for a fact atheism is re- a joke. Mm-hmm. When I studied and just learned a little bit about the complexity and the way a heart functions, there's no way some higher power did not invent us. I mean, there is no way that we did not come from a from a higher power. And this ejection fraction, which is where you know, which was leaking, my grandfather he needed this mitral valve clip. And I called the manufacturer. It had not been approved by the FDA. And I said, who is the best doctor in the world who's done the most of these, these tests on these valves, on these uh, clips that, that keep the mitral valve connected? And he said, uh, they said, actually, a guy at Cedars Sinai in LA. And I got the guy's name. I went to see him. He's an Indian guy. I said, you, are, you don't know me. I'm Brett Ratner, but you're going to become my best friend. Because I'm, I need to go and watch Who was you that? do that. Car? Was it Cybo Car? Nice. I said, I want to watch the surgery. <laughs> I want to watch the surgery before I let you touch my grandfather because I think he might need it. Anyway, yeah. long story short, he didn't need the surgery. I watched him operate on a person and on a pig. Wow. And the pig, the pig, the pig heart, by the way, I don't know if you know this, Lauren. Uh, the doctor knows it for sure. The pig heart is closest heart to a human heart. And not only that, it's more sensitive. So if you make a mistake on a surgery, on a human heart, you could, it's, it's pretty fixable. On a pig heart, if you just make one slight mistake, it's done. So they, they You the know what's interesting? They yeah. actually use pig heart valves sometimes exactly. uh, to replace them in humans since it's so similar. But Brett, exactly. I'm, I'm cutting so, you off yeah. because Tell me, please. What, you're, what you're talking about actually – is amazing. And, and that was one of the things I wanted to talk about, um, how it's so important for patients. You know, some people take it too far, but it's so important today for patients to be their own advocates and yeah. especially to, you know, to look after your family because no one is going to take care of your family better than your family, than you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as great as a doctor might be, as smart as a doctor might be, I mean, you're, you're, and, and I wanted to lead into the fact of, isn't your grandmother, doesn't your grandmother live with you? My grandmother's 96 and lives in my guest house and I'm, I'm her basic caretaker. I mean, I, I manage her, her, her medical, I mean, I catch things, you know, cause doctors have many patients, right? but, but I'm there with her watching her behavior. And I could say in the past, I would say six to nine months, not because I'm trying to take credit for it, but I've saved her life at least four times. Where no, I believe we, it. Yeah, we got her to the emergency room. They said, will you sign this? And I go, what is this? He goes, well, if we have to pull the plug. I said, what do you mean pull the plug? as well, her chances are not very good. She's become septic, sepsis, I guess. Sepsis, it's called? Yeah, bad infection, yeah. Bad, she gets an infection and it spreads through her entire body and someone at that age, then the heart starts going crazy, the kidneys, the everything. So four times I, I caught symptoms of what she had because the problem with elderly is if you have a, a infection, you don't always get a fever. If a little kid gets an infection, he has a fever, you take him to the doctor, you give him Tylenol, you give him antibiotics for the fever. But a person that's 96 years old, you don't always get a fever when you have it. Like you, it what was, it's so interesting because when you were doing your podcast, I was listening to you talking about the appendicitis. Yeah. And say there's the appendicitis, there's certain things that you look for, right? You look for the the fever, pain on the right side, but it's every person. What's, oh, wait, what's the, the phrase that you use? 
that you taught your kids that the belly don't read no book exactly exactly <laughs> that was that was fascinating that was fascinating <laughs> and the and, belly and, don't and, read no book someone said that to me the other day actually back at me because they knew yeah. i'd said it to them it was so yeah. good and it's so good and insightful really and and it uh, really is but i you think know, you have to have a one thing you have to have a desire to care you have to be care about the person yeah. you're caring for because the problem with the reason my grandfather lived six more years after they told me he was going to pass away was because they would get, prescribe him 10 medications and he would randomly take them. But yeah. what I asked the doctor, the cardiologist to walk me through is what is the best time in the day to take this medication? What is the best time? Okay. If he's dizzy, then you lower the dose. If he's this, then you do this. So it's, you know, it's hard. It's a lot of work yeah. unless you have it's the patience. It's a lot of work. And my own, by the way, when I was excited about to talk to you, because I wanted to tell you all my medical uh, uh, history, because okay. it's, very it's very funny, because I could have been on the Unusual Medical Stories uh, uh, podcast. As a, as that, that, that episode, I could have been, as a child, I heard it's coming, is I was born with double hernia. Yeah. Well, that's actually very common. I heard of that, yeah. So I, I was born with a double hernia. Um, I severed my finger. This is right. Not, you have a thumb. Is, yeah. Like, yeah. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I have this finger that's that literally, if they found the tip, they would have sewed it back on. But I, I lost it when I was three or four years old. So I had a severed, um, remember now there's exercise bicycles that they're covered kind of with plastic, but they yeah. used to be like a pole for the seat, a pole for the handlebars, a pole for the, and then the chain. So yeah. I was three or four years old and I was playing with the, with the, with the, um, the wheel, with the pedals, with the wheels. Yeah. And I grabbed the the chain, and it took my finger and it cut my finger when it went through the sprockets. Nice. And 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 I couldn't find it. My grandfather found it while I was at the hospital, and they were sewing me back. And he put it in the freezer, right? Because he's a doctor, so he said, "Oh, let's you know maybe they could save put it on tomorrow or something." I didn't, you know, he didn't know. And by accident, it froze. It became an ice cube, and my grandmother ate my finger by accident. No, she day. did. Yes, did she, she did. Really? I swear, nice. she ate my finger. I, I, th I was going to say that as a joke, and, and of course, that's what she did. And that's why she's still alive today. Exactly. Your finger. And then I tore my Achilles, which is the most painful thing I'd ever experienced in my life. But because I'm a scaredy cat, I've never been under anesthesia. That's why I'm scared for you to operate on me, Dr. Cohen. I'm yeah. scared because I've never been under anesthesia. Um, I had an epidural for my Ooh. Achilles tear, which no one's ever done. He said, no one's ever asked me to do an epidural. I usually, they love being knocked out. Right, and I was wide awake. He was talking to me the whole time. It was Dr. And you didn't Clapper. mind being you didn't mind being awake for it. I felt them pulling on it. I, I mean, it was crazy. It was my my Achilles is so thick right now. It's like it's got yeah. scar tissue. It's like a tube, like a how like did a you, steel pipe. It's an interesting. How did you uh, tear your Achilles tendon? What were you doing? I was playing tennis, and I literally popped my. I, it sounded like a gunshot. I thought someone shot me because when I heard the pop, the shot. I dropped yeah. to the ground. I right. dropped to the ground. I call my doctor. He says, pinch your, pinch your calf. If your foot moves, it didn't tear. It's just a, a, a whatever. It's, a, it's not a full tear. It's just a right. you know, partial tear. A, a partial tear. And I squeezed it. I said, what's happening? I said, no, my foot's not moving. He goes, that's gone. Yeah. <laughs> your Achilles is gone. We have to operate tomorrow. You know and what's interesting still, about the Achille yeah. Achilles tendon injury is it's a pretty yeah. classic thing. Did you look around to see if someone or something hit you? No, I think I was going for a backhand. Right. And I, I was, I never, I, I, one mistake I make, and this is my advice to everybody listening to this. 
stretch before you do anything. I was Very young. True. Yeah. If you don't stretch, I never stretched. And the other thing I, I thought of the reason it happened later, because one time is there's an antibiotic and you'll know more than me that can cause an Achilles tear. Leviquin. Leviquin. Or Cipro. Cipro or Leviquin. Cipro. Quinolones. So I was, yeah. yeah, Quinolone. So, I, so if you take a, an antibiotic, and that's the other thing that I'm obsessed with. When they give my grandmother a medication, I'm checking all the interactions right. because, you know, maybe they make you remember, maybe they don't, but there's deadly interactions yeah. with some medications. I will tell you this. I've never smoked in my whole life. I've never yeah. had a drug. I've never had a drink. Um, I eat a lot. I don't eat very well. My cholesterol is normal. I check myself obsessively, right? I'm always checking myself. But I will tell you that um, aside from that, I, the only time I've ever come close to death was when I was in New York about to do this movie, Tower Heist, that I was directing. And I had like a mosquito bite on my leg and I scratched it. And I'd been to the hospital yeah. to visit a friend of mine who was sick. And I had a flea bite. I'm sorry, a flea bite uh, from a dog because I had a dog. And, and, and I went to the, um, to the hospital and I guess I must have touched something that had staph or some kind of infection. And I touched um, um, my flea to scratch it and I got infected. And it was, a, first it was this big, it was tiny. Yeah. And then it started expanding and then it started getting hot. Yeah, and it was like it looked like a flesh-eating disease, but it wasn't. And it can I, become that. It can become that. And if it would have gone into my bloodstream, and it was literally doc, you have no idea how fast this thing was growing. It was getting hotter and hotter on my leg. Yeah. They, they I went to two infectious disease doctors, one from Columbia, one from they said they'd never seen anything like this. They said it didn't look like flesh eating, but they could not diagnose it, and it was spreading so fast. I had to take not two, but maybe three intravenous. Yeah. I, I didn't check into a hospital because they would have shut down the movie. So yeah. I did it out of my house, apartment. And I had a nurse come. I had a friend yeah. who has 100 nurses and doctors working for him. And, they, and, and he, they came and gave me the IV. And it was the scariest time of my life because I started hallucinating from like, like all the antibiotics and the infection. And it was like, yeah. but it's so scary. These skin infections. What is it called? Not staph. Is it staph? It, oh, no, it's cellulitis. Often, it's cellulitis. either a, it, yeah, but it, what it becomes is it can become something called necrotizing fasciitis, which is oh. basically flesh-eating bacteria. Yeah. And it's I've seen it in all sorts of people. You know, you never know who's going to get it. I've seen it in you know rock stars, lawyers. Yeah, and and, I just and, want, and because yeah. of that, I just want to show you this. This is the book that I keep under my desk. Handbook of Bioterrorism and Disaster Medicine. And I'll look up, um, I'll look up, you know, here, it has for everything. Heat wave, the epidemiology warrant. Oh, wait, here. Plague, um, um, Q fever, like stuff. Like I'm obsessed. Look, alpha viruses. I love that stuff. That stuff is really cool. So what do you think uh, about the fact that Corona, do you think it maybe was produced in a lab? Um, you know, look. There's so many conspiracy theories, and I love right. I, I love watching these conspiracy, hearing these. I sent you this video yesterday, actually. Uh, yeah. And then, of yeah. course, it's all over CNN. All over. And they they and and I don't know if they're going to now deport that woman because she was. Did a you doctor. see the video, Lauren? Do you know the video we're talking about? I have no idea. 
this doctor who's yeah. from, she went to school in Nigeria, but I think she's from Cameroon. Yeah. Where is she practicing? In Pennsylvania? Yeah, yeah. I think so. Midwest. Who, who went and they did this whole um, press conference saying that um, uh, Plaquenil or, you know, the medicine uh, hydroxychloroquine. Yeah. Right. And azithromycin and zinc cure Corona. And, and that she said, that's all you need. You don't need a mask. You don't need this. And uh, it was interesting, this, this press conference, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but, but no, it was great. It was obviously, the woman was obviously nuts. And she, the problem is Trump like retweeted it and posted yeah. it. They took it down off of Facebook or whatever yeah. it was. Okay, that, I did and now I'm, that. I'm sure they're going to take her license away because she was pitching something that was, she said she has 350 patients that are deathly ill from Corona and not one of them has died because she's been giving them hydrochloroquine. So I liked it, her it, passion though. Didn't you oh, like yeah, her she, passion? No, no, she was great, but it was, she was obviously a little off. And, but the yeah. weirdest thing is she put like eight doctors behind her. Right. If they were, but then at one point you saw that one woman came up to kind of like cut her off. Cause right. I think it was getting a little bit out of control. I'm sure there's going to be some lawsuits involved, but the thing I'm more fascinated about and I'm right in the precipice of it is the vaccine. I yeah. literally, Doc, have to tell you, I have two friends, as we speak, in Russia that are Russians, very wealthy guys that are very connected to the government that have been given the vaccine. They've been given the vaccine. So the Russian government, I don't know if you know this, I don't think it's been publicized, has given the, or maybe it has, has given a vaccine to their military. That's one of the first people that got it. So wow. I personally know two men that didn't have it, didn't have uh, uh, COVID, got the vaccine and they're saying, and they're showing full antibodies and they're saying it's going to last two years. Now, from what I understand, the Oxford vaccine is going to be released in a few months. Okay. And they, no side effects. They feel fine. Your two friends. They're fine, but I don't know how much of, remember that they, they, you know, I've been watching the news and I see that they, they're saying, okay, if you have too much of the strain, there's side effects. Yeah. And the scary thing is that the testing, right? It's they do forty people first, then they do four hundred people, and then they go public after four thousand, right, or whatever. Right. And so, like, is four is four thousand enough people to trust that what the side effects can and cannot be? Right. I mean, there's a whole. By the way, you know, there's a whole culture of people that will not take vaccines. Period. Right. Right. And then even even like the uh, the HPV vaccine, the human papillomavirus vaccine, that's what known. To prevent in in girls, yeah. you know, uh, um, HPV, cervical cancer, HPV, and then cervical cancer. It took them. My wife always knows more information than I do. She told me from the time that they came out with that vaccine, that was great. It took years before kind of everybody bought it, you know, and 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 was like, okay, I'm willing to give my children the vaccine. It took years. So that's the so, question. You as a healthcare worker, I guess I know you're, you know in a hospital that is doing a surgery that's maybe elective, sometimes it's emergency, I guess. It depends on the, the s- severity of it. Are you going to be forced by the hospital to take yeah. the vaccine? You I don't will. know. We are, forced, we are forced to take the flu vaccine. Really? Yeah. So, so, but I think if you could sign a waiver to say that you don't care. But so would you take it? If Oxford, I mean, do you trust? Obviously, you're not going to get the Russian vaccine. Right? I'm not going to be so, one of the first. I'm not going to be one of the first ones to take it. I'll tell you that. I'm. I'm going to wait a little. Okay. Okay. What about you? Um. 
I'm going to wait. I think I'm, yeah. I, I've, I've been in this house since February of this year. I think I'll be here till way into 2021. I think I'm going to. You I'm haven't gonna, left? It just, <laughs> I've not left. I went, I went once. I bought a gun, my first gun ever, and it only bought it because it was Israeli and it was the cool. It wasn't because I was scared of somebody. You know, I wasn't. It's not like a home protection thing. I mean, it is for home protection, but it's not why. I wasn't nervous about rioting or anything or something happening. It was just I just saw this gun and it was the coolest gun I have ever seen. It's a Tavor shotgun made in Israel and it's legal. And I had to shoot this. And when I brought it to my friend who does all of the uh, gun, they train every actor in Hollywood. It's a place called Terran Tactical, and yeah. it's out. And I don't know where it is in El Segundo or somewhere, whatever. But it's it's one of the coolest places to go shooting. And I went to shoot this gun, and it is the coolest toy. I'll never shoot it again, probably, unless someone of my friends wants yeah. to go. No, well, I don't keep the bullets. Oh, right. I'm not. I'm not. I'm, it's just in my in my safe, you know. Yeah. But 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 um. Um, again, it's just the coolest thing. So that's the only time I left the house. At, nobody was wearing masks. Yeah. I'm wearing the mask. I'm wearing two masks. I'm wearing the, the plastic thing over my eyes and goggles. Yeah. My, uh, my friend is spraying me um, um, with rubbing alcohol that we brought in a spray bottle <laughs> you know, in between me and another person, even though I was six feet away and I had the mask and I had the thing, she sprang the air in between me with rubbing alcohol. I mean, it was, it was like a, it was like a comedy sketch. You guys, yeah, would have, yeah. you, you guys would have loved it. But, uh. but what I, what I was going to say is what you started in, in the conversation at the beginning of this, which is like about genes. It's interesting because, um, well, there you are, I, you're bringing it all around. Yeah. yeah I'll bring it all around because I, Sorry? What? Genetic testing are you talking about? Well, genetics, because the genetics, I think, are such a factor. Because I think, not that whether you believe if everyone has a time, like God God preset the time that you're going to, you know, if everyone has enough, like 84 years and three months, everyone's got their set time. Who knows if that's true? But the truth is, if you have a genetic, good genes, good genetics, and that's why I think this testing of the 23andMe is good because I've always thought about that as yeah. a kid because I realized I had really good genes for whatever reason, not because I'm Jewish or Ashkenazi, but because my parents, my grandparents were all very healthy. I'm 51 years old. I'm about four years younger than, than Dr. Cohen. And um, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm 51 years old, even though I look five years younger than Dr. Cohen, I should have said. Right, right, right. I'm, 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 and I, I'm... I don't know if anybody knows anybody my age still having their grandparents, especially their grandmother living with them. So I'm pretty jealous. My point, yeah, but my point is that I'm very blessed to be my age to have a grandmother still. Yeah. And it's only because, yeah, my mom had me very young, but I have, I think because of my good genes. Yeah. And so and you know I would what's interesting that, yeah, about that is, you know, people always talk about, um, you know, I'll have patients who are elderly and people always say to me, um, you know, like an 80-something-year-old, 90-something-year-old who, who needs a surgery. And, and the patients yeah. and the family will always say, aren't I too old to have the surgery? And my answer right. to them is no. In, in fact, the fact that you've made it to that age means you're yeah. strong. I tell them, someone who's 80 or 90, if you've made it to that age, it means it's because you're made of yeah. good stuff. It's like the 60, 70, 60-year-old 60 that I'm more concerned about sometimes who hasn't been tested, battle-tested, that I'm actually sometimes more concerned about. And patients get relieved about that, but it's really true. In, in genetics, when I've been reading some of the stuff, 
if I have, if one person has uh, a disposition for it, yeah. most likely the chances are not high that the kid will have it. But if both parents have it in their family, in their bloodline, right. it's most likely that they'll have, that the kid right. will come out with that. There's a 50% disease. chance. Yeah. Yeah. There's a 50% chance. So, yeah. So, so. We Sorry, had a genetic ahead. counselor on the show, and she actually agreed with exactly what you're saying. She said, wow. you should absolutely have these conversations. Like, it should be just a mandatory thing before you get married. I think that the genetics are always um, um, imperative to kind of not only your own, but your partner. But again, when you're in love, you're in love, and you can't, you know. I was about to that, say that to you. That, I was about that, to say, that, but that, what about love? Yeah, but that. That goes out the window. That goes out the window, um, yeah. obviously, because you're like, and then you risk it, and then you you take what God gives you and what comes. But it's so weird how, um, you know, I know couples. I'm I'm at that age where I know people who've had children, had families, and the kids are not healthy as yeah. as babies. And I'm like, why is this happening? And they just didn't match. Their genetics were just yeah wrong for each other. And I don't know. I mean, the the thing that freaks me out the most is that they can take someone's egg and decide if it's male or female. That yeah. is messing with God in a way that is just so weird to me. Yeah. And they could they can do so many different things in the chromosomes. They could even genetically they could even test it genetically and and if they find any defects say okay we're not going to we're not going to make well, that, this. Well that's the that's the benefit of science. But do yeah. are we going to you know are we going to use it to our advantage or are we going to play God? I'm big into cloning. And I have a friend of mine, uh, a, a very successful guy in Hollywood, who had his dogs cloned. Barbara Streisand did that. We talked about that on another episode too, didn't we, Lauren? A little bit, yeah. Barbara Streisand, I went to her house to meet her, and she was showing me her, her memorabilia of all her costumes from all her movies that's under in her, in her guest house. Yeah. And I said, oh, these dogs are good. Oh, this dog's a clone. And da, da, da. I made him. In. I'm like, what? So if they can clone dogs mm-hmm. identical, is it possible, doctor, to clone a human being then now? They probably can. Yeah, I think they but, can. But it's not ethically. Or yeah. In allowed. fact, there was some lab in Asia somewhere that was doing a lot of stuff and they shut them down, right? Did, did you hear about that? Oh, that is so scary. Yeah. It's so they that probably is... are cloning people. We just don't know it. Maybe. It's Thank possible. You. Well, maybe the government is cloning people and seeing, but yeah. uh, it's so freaky. How does that work? Because, again, as someone who's not religious, but I think I'm very spiritual and connected to a higher power and to God, you know, and I know this is another, the other reason why I believe in God in such a strong way. I, nobody, I was not closer to any human being in the world than my grandfather, literally. I mean, it was my whole life. And I even thought psychologically, I was, I had such fear of his death because I thought there's no way I can live if he dies. Like I was so connected to him. And when I was in my room here at this house and the nurse, you know, I had nurses with them and they called me and said, you know, come over here. And I got so scared because they would never do that unless it was an emergency. And I ran over there. And when I saw him, he had already passed. He went to, we had a great dinner the night before. We were telling jokes. He ate dinner. He talked for a while. He told me some stories. He went to sleep and he died in his sleep, which is the greatest gift. Right. But when, when I saw him, it was not my grandfather. His body was just, it was the receptacle. And yeah. I didn't have the, and I, the fear left me. Yeah. Because I realized that his spirit, the thing that made him. His neshama. His neshama, right? But, you know, it's, you know, it's a word that oh, a few people know. His soul 
Lord, yeah. left. He was not, that was not my grandfather. That was yeah. just the body that he was in. I saw him and I looked at him immediately and I'm like, his soul was gone. And, and it was, um, it was, it made me realize, wow. And it just somehow it gave me peace almost. And I knew that, you know, obviously he wasn't suffering. He wasn't, you know, it was at the end of the day, it's about quality of life. So, so, so anyway, to, in conclusion, I think that, um, you know, I'm fascinated with medicine. I'm fascinated with, that's why I was excited when, when Dr. Cohen invited me on the, on the podcast, because I'm just, I'm so interested in it. I'm so interested in, in, um, you know, in what's going on right now with this COVID thing. Part of it is if this is such a new thing for us and there's so much we don't know. And I think that's what everybody's finding out is, is that there's so much still we don't know. But what's amazing is, I mean, that, that part is just the the science and the research is amazing. The thing that Dr. Cohen does, which is surgeries is another fascinating thing because it's almost like an art I think what Seibel does or doctors like you that actually go into the human body, cut out, you know, uh, tumors or, you know, whatever you do. And I don't know what others, I know you you do a general surgery. So you do a lot of different types of surgeries. It's kind of like art. It really is. It's like the human body is like, you know, it's, it's just a piece of art and there's, you know, there's practice and there's technique to it. But the good ones, like the guy you said, you're, I think you were the protege of the great thyroid uh, doctor, right? That right, I, right. I, that I, that I uh, what was his name? Who was Adeshek. your protege? Ken Adeshek. Adeshek. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So he's the famous guy who did all the thyroid surgeries. And you right. were right, you were right next to him, right? You were his protege. Yeah. He was my and, mentor, yeah. And, and so, so how would you, just curious, how would you describe what his talent was? Because he's not because you have the same knowledge he had because he yeah. just had more experience, but right. was it the way that he mm-hmm. actually did the surgery to, at the speed that he did the surgery at the precision of what he did the surgery, what separated him from all the other doctors that were doing this surgery? You want to know? Yeah. The fact that I was helping him. <laughs> really? <laughs> no, I mean, I, you know, a little bit, I think, I, I think the fact that we had two, two well-trained doctors doing it, but he was slow and meticulous and moved along though. And, and that's something I learned from him too is, you know, he, he didn't rush. He took his time. He made sure to, to do everything right. Um, but yet he didn't pachki, you know, he would move along, but he was, but he was very deliberate. And I, and I think uh, I like that about him, you know, so, I see. and I, and I definitely took that from him, you know, in terms of. So he had a good temperament because I think what you have to have, which my grandfather didn't have, I would say. Yeah. My grandfather, you know, being a radiologist, you can say, oh, he just reads x-rays. But no, as time went on, he got into nuclear medicine. And of course, right. he, read, he read CAT scans and MRIs. And it's a, it's a real, he's the one who's advising the surgeons like yeah. where, the, where the problem is. But later on, because he, he, was, he was the chief of the VA hospital. He worked for the government, where? basically. Where? And, you know, and this is in the 70s in Miami. Uh, okay. He was the chief chief of the of the radiology of of the VA hospital. Yeah, and somehow they moved him into special procedures. Right. Was it special procedures? It's called Interve- interventional interventional radiology. Yeah. So he had to do he had to inject dyes in people. Yeah. That gave him a tremendous amount of anxiety. Oh, really? 
and stress because somebody was allergic to the dye, they had a cardiac arrest. Right. If somebody, there was a lot of life. He was, right, he stuff was, could go wrong. Once you start stuff, doing that, there's a lot of things that could go wrong. Right, so he <laughs> was like, you know, a, a doctor who gets in a podiatry is a different type of doctor that goes into heart surgery, a different doctor exactly. that goes into general surgery. So the right. temperament of something. So I think my grandfather told me at one point when he got into these this, this, um, special procedures of doing these surgeries, I mean, not surgeries, but doing these procedures with dyes and stuff that were becoming risky, he started having huge anxiety, blood pressure. You know, he, he, he couldn't swallow at one point. He wow. Out. And, I mean, he was getting really anxious. Spilkes. Spilkes. And, and, uh, and so I think you have to have a temperament, right, um, uh, that is very calm and collected. And I find the, the best doctors, surprisingly enough, it's kind of like there's two types of directors. And the great ones are the ones that have both. Right. There's visual directors and there's great storytellers. A lot of times, and it's just the way our nature, there's not a lot of directors who are great storytellers who are also visual. Because it's like left side, right side of the brain. Or the reverse. Right. The visual guys, and I don't want to mention names, but I'll say... The person who has both is, for instance, Spielberg. Spielberg right. has a great visual sense, but there might be a great storyteller, but they might not be aesthetically beautiful. Right. With a, there's two types of doctors. There's doctors that are technically excellent, aesthetically excellent, and then there's bedside manners. Right. No, you're very and right. Find, and I find the best doctors that have the worst social skills are the best, are the, are, are the ones that have the worst social skills. The yeah. ones that are, have no patience, no bedside manner, aren't, don't have that humanity, that human side to like kind of calm you down. You know, yeah. when you have nervous patients like me, I want to know, doctor, am I going to live? Am I going to be okay? Am I going to, you know? And, and so, um, you know, I think Jason is a great example from what I understand from his reputation of being the doctor has the great surgical skill, the great temperament, the great execution. But he's also a guy you could sit, I mean, I spent an hour in his office when I first met him just talking to him having fun. And that's a guy who just makes you feel like everything's going to be fine. Like, you yeah. know, thank you. Calms you down. Thank yeah. you. I, I would agree. I think you're the Spielberg of surgery. I would say. Hey, <laughs> all right. That's it. You got to put that on the pot, brain on the, pot of the Spielberg <laughs> or, or the Ratner of surgery. What about the Ratner? Exactly. Oh my God. Well, I'm praying that I don't need surgery ever, but if I Amen. do, you're, you're my guy. And I, I, I don't know if, you know, I don't know if, um, um, but I like to be awake to see what you're doing just so I can give you, you know, tell you how you're doing as you're doing. <laughs> okay. Thanks, yeah. the, so what are you, are um, you working? Are you working on stuff during this? I'm work, corona times? I'm, I'm, well, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm actually more prolific than I've ever been. Meaning because the, there's, there's several steps to making movies. Right. And one of the, one of the most important steps and is the most intensive, but it's always spread out a long, long time is really the preparation of making a movie is, yeah. is it, it takes, and from the script even to get a good script, you know, could be anywhere from nine months to seven years. I mean, I've yeah. had projects that took me, and that's why you always have to have a few, uh, uh, fires in the oven, fires in the oven to, to, to kind of, because you never know which one is going to come out in yeah. the way that it needs to. So, um, being at home and where it's become kind of a level playing field because everyone's at home, everybody's right. doing zoom. Yeah. everybody's you know because sometimes i need you need to get in the face of somebody to kind of express your ideas express your thoughts 
now everyone's kind of at home and they're if I was just at home normally, if if we were working, I would I wouldn't just call somebody. And it's not right. the same. It's not the same. Calling and articulating your point of view and you seeing my expressions, my emphasis, my yeah. passion for the idea, right? So yeah. I could say to somebody, I could be loud, but being loud is not always the thing. It's it's articulating, you know, a director is a storyteller. That's the easiest way to describe it. And in order to tell a good story, a director is not a one person. You know, you, you need your team. You need, just like I'm sure when you're doing surgery, you need yeah. to communicate and walk through, prepare. You need to For prepare sure. what the steps are in the surgery. So making the film is the surgery. Yeah. And the, pre, and the pre-op is like the pre-production where you're prepping everybody in the process. Um, and it's funny because I watched Cybel Carr do this surgery, which is through the vein, you know, through the yeah. artery, whatever. And I was like, you know, Cybel, you did this, this, this mitral valve clip in like 42 minutes. But I think if I did it, I'd probably do it in about 35 because you, <laughs> you were slacking a little bit. I didn't really. Right. And he's like, all right, I'm going to come on your set and I'm going to direct a scene. And let's see, because I think I could direct better than you. Right. And so, exactly. and, and so um, you know, no, that's the thing. thing I notice about you is um, you like to mentor, don't you? I do. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I, I had the best, my, my first advice that I give every single person that I meet that wants to be in Hollywood, I said, find a mentor. Yeah. And, and it doesn't, and by the way, the higher up you go, the ladder the easier you're going to find that mentor because the more successful people are the ones that are more likely to mentor people. It's the ones that are in the middle ground that are still trying to get to the top that don't have time for that stuff, right? Right. right. So I said, shoot high, but shoot for someone. And the way to get them, he goes, well, how do I get them? How do I get them on the phone? I got Spielberg to give me money for my student film when I was at NYU because I wrote a handwritten letter to him and 39 other people. Yeah. And it was when handwritten letters were expected, right? But it was well, very what's a, wait, what's a handwritten letter? Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and so I said, if you want my advice, even though you could just e- email somebody, but everybody gets hundreds of emails. Right. But imagine right. somebody who gets hundreds of emails and they go to their mailbox and they have a handwritten letter from you. They're going to yeah. sit and read it. They're going to read it. Yeah. It's going to mean much more. So I said, one, handwritten letter. Two, yeah. target your mentor, but have high hopes and low expectations. They're not obligated to be your mentor and they might not be interested in being your mentor. But I would get somebody that you have a not a connection, but you have a you identify with their career, or not just identify, somebody whose career path you want to walk in their steps. Because the biggest fa- mistake that my friends make, and not just in the film industry, people, if I had a father who was a film director, I would have been even more successful and, and had less failures right because my because i would have picked my not picked my father's brain ate my father's brain yeah because he would have he would have been through it already right right so I oh you people, know what let me let me interrupt you for one sec you were asking what my mentor one of his successes was ken adishek yeah. and he had as his mentor his father his father was a surgeon and for years they worked together doing wow. surgery Wow. And even when his dad was slowing down, he said, I'm going to still help you, but you're now the surgeon. And for wow. years he had wow. that. Wow. And that's yeah. amazing. And a that gift. was probably his success. Yes. And that's a gift because I have friends who are in yeah. real estate, real yeah. estate developers. Yeah. And, and the father was brilliant. The father went through four depressions. 
right. four bankruptcies, four failures, right. 50 successes. Yeah. And the son, the son didn't want to ask the father for advice because he wanted to be independent of his father. Right. He wanted to be, he didn't want to be known as the son right. of this person. He wanted to have his own value. I wish I had Brett Ratner Sr., even though I'm Jewish, I couldn't have a Brett Ratner Sr., right. but I would wish, you know, Shmuley yeah. Ratner, whatever, as my father to walk me through the trials and tribulations because history will only repeat itself. And whatever he went through is going to happen to me in right. some way or another, and I'm going to know yeah. at least how to handle it. So mentorship is the main thing and the important thing that is needed in order for someone, I think, if they want. Now, it doesn't mean you can't do it on your own. Maybe you're super genius, super lucky. whatever it is, yeah. or lucky. And luck is a big part of it. But hard work, you know, um, and preparation and luck and all that stuff, all of it combined. But how great is it? And I, what I did was I didn't have that father who was a director. I didn't have anybody, anybody in the movie business. And when I got in the movie business, I got really successful, really young. I was 26 years old when I directed my first movie. And I latched onto the first guy, which is this guy, Robert Evans, Bob Evans, who produced The Godfather in Chinatown and all these great Marathon Man, you know. The kid and stays he was, in the picture. Exactly. And he became, and I, I literally moved into his house. Uh-huh. And, every, and every day I would go, every night, he'd be in bed, you know, drinking a martini and caviar or whatever with his fur comforter and, you know, and I would come in and just sit on his bed and ask him every question. And every movie before I directed it, I would show him the movie, the script and say, please read this and give me your insight. If I directed a movie, I would show him the movie before anybody, even though he was 80 years old, he saw it. And I understand that he didn't get maybe certain nuances or certain subtleties, but I, I, I showed him the movie. I, I wanted to get his input because I, because you know why? Because he didn't hold pull punches with me. He said, if it sucked, it sucked. If it was great, it was great. If he was proud of me, he was proud of me. I owe so much of my of the right decisions to him and also the strength. Because look at his life. The reason that documentary is such a great documentary is because it shows not only his, you know, his successes, but his failures and his struggles and his his pain and all the stuff. He yeah. was, you know. He was at the top of the mountain, the paramount, and then he's at the bottom and he's had all those ups and downs. And studying that, you know, Michael Jackson, I was very close to, would say, Brett, study the greats and become greater. And the mm-hmm. one thing I saw about Michael Jackson, and he was an incessant, that's the second thing. Don't ever stop studying. If you're a doctor, study the newest techniques, the newest technologies. Yeah. Doesn't mean you have to embrace them. You don't have to start doing your operations robotically. Uh, Dr. Cohen, if you don't, you know, if you Although feel better. I did it, that was, that was my surgery today. It was a robotic okay. surgery. Right. So, so yeah, but you, you did it and whatever. And the insurance charged a hundred thousand dollars more for the insurance. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but my point is keep studying your craft, whatever it is, if you're doing whatever it is, yeah. don't ever stop studying. De, the great, the great actors from the seventies, De Niro, Pacino, Dustin Hoffman, Steve McQueen, you know, all these guys, they never stopped studying. Yeah. They, they kept studying, you know, Lawrence yeah. Olivier and all these great actors. Nowadays, you get on a Netflix show, you're famous, you're making a few million bucks. You're like, I don't need to study anymore. I'm just, but then you don't have the longevity. Right. It's the trained actors that are from England. Everyone says, who are the best actors you work with? The ones who have training. Yeah. Who never, who trained for years and years. You know, when, I, when you ask my grandfather, how did you become a radiologist? 
he tells me he went to school for 12 years. Yeah. Now, he yeah. doesn't count it as, it's not really school because he went through, you know, whatever. It's residency, called, residency and all that, yeah. And all that stuff. But you, you know, you got to yeah. do, you got to put in the time. Yeah. And, and no matter what it is, medical field, film business, whatever the business is, you're not going to get anything out of it if you don't. And if you want to get there quicker, because everyone's like, oh my God, listen, when I was 26 years old, I directed my first movie. Everyone on the set was double my age. Everyone. Yeah. I, I was like a kid. They were like, who is this kid? And they all treated me like, oh my God, you're like a kid. But guess what? I felt like a loser. You know why? I had a friend who directed a movie when he was 19. I felt like I was over the hill. So right. that's the third thing. It's the third advice I'll tell everybody. Don't compare yourself to anybody. That's great. If you compare yourself to people, you're standing still. Everybody's on their own path. If yeah. you're going to worry about a doctor that's making $200,000 more than you, it's, it's going to hold you back. That's if like, uh, of- do you watch Ted? Are you a Ted Talk fan at all? Yes, I haven't seen or do, it. Or do you, have you heard of the guy Simon Sinek? Simon Sinek? No, no I want to see it. He's amazing. You got to look him up. Simon Sinek. He talks about, he went to look at Microsoft and he went to look at Apple. And he said the thing that distinguished um, when he went to the Microsoft company, they kept comparing themselves to Apple, comparing themselves to Apple. When he went to Apple and he showed them this thing, Apple, all they they wanted to do was make themselves better and and make them stuff. And they didn't compare themselves to anybody. That's the biggest mistake. So there's four things. The first one was mentorship. The second thing was working hard. The third thing is not comparing yourself to anybody because you become stagnant. You become still. You get stuck yeah. in, that, in that space, right? And, and you'll never be. If I compare myself to Spielberg, I'm the most depressed human being on the earth. But, right. you know, he's, but then I know oh, he's 20 years older than me. You can't. You got everyone's on their own right. journey, right? The fourth thing is don't be afraid to fail. Right. That cripples people. I knew, now, let me tell you what, what made me fearless. It's being fearless. What made me fearless is that I had a mother and a grandmother and a great-grandmother that told me every day, you were the smartest, the most talented, and I believed it. So, yes, you had a Jewish confidence. mother. Exactly. So but everybody needs a Jewish mother. But, but, but here's the thing. Not everybody has a Jewish mother, unfortunately. Right. Not everybody has a parent that validates them, that gives them confidence, that tells them they're great, that tells them that they're going to succeed. But here's the thing. I tell everybody. If you didn't have that, which not everybody could, and they had maybe even worse situations where they didn't get yeah. any love at all, you got to love yourself. You got to yeah. be your own Jewish mother and tell yourself, you're great. You're, you're amazing. You got to believe in yourself. Be fearless because I knew for some reason, and I realized why. So, why do I feel this way? Why am I nuts or something? Why do I believe that I could do this when everybody I've met in my entire life and told me, you want to be a director? Do you know the chances of becoming a director? Do you know the greatest, you know, how are you ever yeah. going to be a director? And I didn't listen to that. I kept listening to what I knew. And why did I know this? Because I got a lot of love. You didn't get love. You have to get the love. You have to give the love to yourself. But what I knew is that if I couldn't become a director, if I couldn't, uh, my dreams didn't come true. You know what I knew for sure? My mom was still going to love me. My grandparents were still going to love me. It didn't change who I was. Yeah. And I said that when I talked my way into NYU film school and they didn't want to let me in because I had the worst grades of any student. I said, you know what? If, you don't, if they don't let me in, I'm, still, I'm going to be living on my mom's couch, but I'm still going to be making films. It may yeah. not be blockbusters. It may not be big yeah. films. I'm still going to be doing what I love. 
And so it's imperative, I think, on those four things that I kind of pitch you, the most important really is being fearless, not being afraid to fail. If you're afraid to fail, you're never going to take risks. Yeah. But know that if you believe in yourself, other people will because that confidence, they'll see that. And they'll say, well, who am I to judge or, or, or stop yeah. him from believing in, in what he believes in? So that, that, is, a, that is some rules that I kind of follow. Those are awesome. But at the end of the day, when you love what you do, it stops being a job. Yeah. The money comes if you're good at it. You're going to be, you're going to make enough money. You're going to take care of your family. And, you know, there's things that I'm missing in my life, right? I don't have a family yet. I got to do that soon. But at the end of the day, when you, there's nothing better than loving what you do. When you love what you do, it's the greatest feeling. It's what, it's our purpose, right? Yeah. And, and some people find that purpose in becoming religious. Some people find that purpose in traveling the world. It doesn't have to connect to success. Yeah. Yeah. Success is personal. Right. Right. And so uh, anyway, this is like, Red, I love you. Content. No, that's I love you so much. Mm-hmm. And I love you for doing this. And I'd love to have a part two, if that's okay. Cause I feel like yeah, we just anytime. scratched the surface of stuff. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I'm, it was fun. And thank I love talking so much. Stuff. Yes. I'm going to take in your four like principles. I need to do all of those things more. All your like, you, can, you can do it, Lauren, you can do it. Just right. do it. Just do it. There's no, there's a, uh, you Lauren's know, a writer. Lauren's oh, a wow. writer. Yeah. Well, she's very. I loved her. I loved you in the pot. I mean, when it's you and him only, it really is good. You don't need me in the middle of this. But I, I, <laughs> I, I enjoyed. We've been wanting to have you on the show for a while, and we've never had a director. We are so excited to have you. Thank you so much for doing this. Of course. Yeah. No. I love. I love. I, I could talk for days, but I also. I really love medicine. I, like I said, if I wasn't a film director, I would be a doctor. And I don't know if I would be. A, and if I wasn't a doctor, I think I'd be a bad film director. director. <laughs> but you are, you're saving lives. You're doing God's work. You Thank really you. are because it's, it's amazing. And uh, I'm very happy to know you, happy to be your friend and keep inviting me for Shabbos because there you, you know, go. I'm enjoying it. Okay, anyway, cool. great to meeting you, Lauren. Thank you. Thanks, nice Brad. to meet you. Right. Thank you so much. Talk to you guys. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening to Gross Anatomy and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can check out more episodes on the evolving sights, smells, and sounds of medicine. Gross Anatomy is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition.